You guys are not going to believe what we have this week. We have an amazing guest, Andrew. And Andrew is going to show you guys the secret of the Loch Ness Monster. He has unlocked the secret of the Loch Ness Monster, and he can tell us all about it. You just have to listen. You will not believe it. It's phenomenal. Welcome to How We Grow, an essential playbook to grow and scale your vacation rental business with advice and insights from the best in the biz with your host, Linnell Gordon. Welcome to How We Grow, the vacation rental show. I'm Linnell Gordon, and I am so excited this morning to introduce you to an amazing person in our industry that has something very unique to share with you guys. His name is Andrew Lloyd, and Andrew is the director of Lloyd and & Townsend Rose. And guys, here's the cool thing. They rent luxury homes and castles like across Europe. They do really cool things with all those properties and all those things you see in magazines that you've ever wanted to do. Andrew actually lives this dream. He is the one that makes it happen for his guests and runs the company. He's been featured on Forbes. He has been featured on Travel and Leisure's Best Villa Rental Agencies. He's a founding member and director of the Bestoke Travel Club. And prior to doing this, he has worked for over eight years managing private estates, not just in the United States and Canada, guys. And before doing that, he served over a decade for the top London properties, the Mayfair Hotel, the Dorchester, those places, guys, that you dream of visiting. He's been there, run things. He has so much experience in the luxury travel industry, guys. There is no one more successful and more qualified to speak on this topic. So, Andrew, I am honored to have you today. Very nice to meet you. Thank you for having me. So I want to ask you, tell me about how you got started. Well, I came back from America in 1999 to Scotland, where I come from, and I wasn't quite sure what to do with myself, actually. But a friend of mine up there, he was running some of these big estates that we now work with. And 24 years ago, the sort of luxury rental industry was just getting started in Scotland. And one or two of the big estates that he was working with they wanted to start letting out the main house. So it was his idea to start our little business. And it is a little company and it stayed a little company because we found at the very, very top end of the industry, which is where we're working, and we only really want to help the best top houses and castles we can find. It is a very niche business. Yes. It's very boutique. And you're looking after the top 0.1 percentile of affluent society. And I must admit, over the years, we tried to scale up occasionally, but it didn't really work. So we stayed a very small boutique business. And we look after not a vast number, but 40, 50 families every year who take these incredible houses and castles in England, Scotland, and Ireland. And we did expand into Europe, but like actually we retreated back to the UK and Ireland because oh. we don't speak the languages and we just felt a little insecure that we weren't going to be able to deliver the sort of service that we can in our own patch. Mm. When we started, there weren't that many houses and castles in Scotland that did what private rentals. There were probably, say, 
30. There are now over 300 just in Scotland. Wow. But at my end of the market, which is, as I said, the very, very, very top end, there's not a vast number. We probably work with about 60 estates in England, Scotland, and Ireland. And then we have access probably to another 60 estates if and when we need them. Wow. So it's quite a small little niche portfolio. But I think our clients find that reassuring. Some rental portfolios are absolutely enormous now. And I'm sure they're far more successful than we are and probably make far more money than we do. But now, you know, scalability, that number of properties doesn't necessarily equate to more revenue annually. We find it very hard to keep on top of 60 properties. I mean, on top of, you know, we go to them every year. We're in very regular contact with them, the owners, the management, the housekeeping department. And we look at them carefully and make sure they're still up to stand. I don't know how these huge portfolios can keep an eye on so many places. We find it very difficult. They don't have the same kind of places you have, Andrew. Yeah, I mean, our market is very niche. You're a lovely unicorn, truly, in our market. You are. Yeah, we've been very lucky in two ways, actually. It's taken a long time to build our business. And we had every disaster possible over the first few (laughs) years with Bin Laden and SARS and foot and mouth and the financial crash. And obviously, we won't even talk about what we've had recently, which is not our industry for six. But we've had a lot of setbacks. But somehow we kept going. And we've been very lucky because our clients are that sort of at that level where they like to travel and they just do keep traveling, whatever happens. And also, they've been extremely loyal, really loyal. We've had an amazing repeat business. And a lot of very kind referrals between their sort of social circuit, you know. So we get passed around, really, sort of all the Wall Street types and techie people in California. And we do a lot of work with families in Atlanta and Chicago and Los Angeles. And a lot of it is just referrals. Sure. Tell me, what do you think are the most important aspects of a successful luxury vacation rental business? Well, it's rather like when I was training in the Connaught Hotel in the early 1980s. It's all about the devil is in the detail. Mm. It's it's standards. Well, it's a combination of that and character. Our housing castles have got enormous charm and a lot of character and a lot of history. And they're run by really lovely people Mm. who care and who come from the area and who sort of know about the area. So it's a very personal experience. That even choosing which castle you want to stay in is a very personal experience. You know, they're not hotels. Right. And that's the big distinction. Everyone is completely different. And they come with a lot of history attached. And I mean, I love hotels. And it's nice you have a brand of hotel that, you know, you adore. You just, wherever you go in the world, you stay in a Ritz-Carlton or whatever you, whatever you want. Exactly. You, you don't get that in my world because everyone is completely different. But then our kind of clients, they like that because they're always in hotels anyway. So it's something slightly different. And also the staff, you know, you stay in a hotel and wherever you are, the staff are probably not from that area. They probably know nothing about where they are. Whereas our people who run our properties and work, and you know, they're local people. And it sort of helps you get under the skin of a place rather than just be sort of gliding through as a tourist. It's a much more personal experience. And they're wonderful for families. Because you sort of really do take ownership of the castle for the week. It's your castle for the week. Oh, my goodness. And you can really relax and you can set the pace and you can set the agenda. 
and there's no one else there to irritate you, and you can't irritate anybody else because it's just your kids and your grandkids <laughs> and people like that. And you can say what time you want to have your meals and what meals you want and how you want them served. And, you know, it's, you can completely sort of craft the holiday to what you want. And I think privacy as well is a much bigger factor now than it was 20 years ago. Everybody sort of is famous now, even big businessmen. I mean, 20 years ago, you wouldn't have known who the president of Coca-Cola was or the head of some company or some techie guy. You wouldn't have known them. But now everybody's so well known. And I think people are much, much more conscious now of their privacy. I know that Lloyd and Townsend Rose takes pride in ensuring the privacy of their uh, and safety, the security of their guests. How do you guys do that? How do you, what strategies do you use? Well, I mean, first of all, you're taking the property exclusively. So there's nobody else there. Good. And also the staff are used to, a lot of our houses and castles are owned by very important business families. So they're used to high level guests and they're used to sort of being discreet. And these houses are all set in huge estates. Sometimes, I mean, we have one property on the west coast of Scotland. The estate is the size of Los Angeles. Wow. It's 65,000 acres and it's got its own private train station. Oh, my goodness. So it's not hard to be private. No, not with, not in that kind of... <laughs> okay. So you actually pick places that set themselves to be private and secure as well. It's a big factor now. But luckily, they are in these settings, so they're naturally very private. Let me ask you this. If you could go back and give yourself advice 20 years ago or 10 years ago, whatever, what advice would you give yourself for being successful in this industry that you're in? Well, our kind of travel company, it's more of a lifestyle business than a get-rich business. It's very labor-intensive. You probably talk to all sorts of different people in the travel industry. In my sector, the luxury travel world, you know, it's not a huge earner, but it's a lot of fun and it's really interesting. And I've been doing it now for 24 years and every day is different and it's full of variety and you meet amazing people and we have wonderful clients. We work with amazing estates. We work with all sorts of fantastic suppliers who are very passionate about what they do. So if you judge success by millions of pounds in the bank, then I've been a dismal failure. But if you judge success by having a very interesting, fun 24 years, then I've been very successful. That's lovely. You know, this reminds me so much. Andrew, you, well, when I interview these amazing, successful people like yourself in the industry, they do have common themes. And one of those that you just mentioned, it's the same thing. Guys, love what you do. Love what you do because there's a big, portion of being successful in loving what you do, right, Andrew? Yeah, and I think the luxury travel industry is, I mean, I go to Pure and other top travel trade shows, which are very interesting. Mm-hmm. And you meet incredible people. And sometimes you meet immensely successful businessmen, all ladies, sure. who have started a hotel in some rural part of Canada or Bali or wherever. And they're just using part of their fortune to develop these amazing properties. But, you know, whatever their circumstances, they're just really passionate about what they do. And they're really mm-hmm. interesting to talk to. And their backstories are often amazing. Their careers, and what they've done before, are amazing. And I think that's what's wonderful about our world. It's very rarely about landing up with a Ferrari in the driveway. 
<laughs> That's true. This episode of How We Grow is sponsored by Super Control. From one property to hundreds, homeowners and property management companies trust Super Control's all-in-one property management system and channel manager to run more than 45,000 rental properties around the world. From attracting direct bookings on your website, automating guest communications, syncing your channels and making payments easy, Super Control facilitates your success. Learn more at supercontrol.co.uk to discover our booking software. I always ask our guests to tell me their favorite guest story and their favorite owner story. What comes to mind when I ask that to you, Andrew? Well, I remember a few years ago, we have a wonderful castle on Loch Ness, which is up in the Highlands of Scotland. And Loch Ness is very famous for its monster, which yes. is a mythical thing that floats around in the loch, but no one's ever really seen it. <laughs> so we had this American family there, and the man said, I want my daughter to see the Loch Ness monster. So I said, well, you do realize it doesn't really exist. Uh, they, people have seen a vague shadow on the loch, but that's about it. He said, no, no, I want my daughter to see the Loch Ness monster. Oh. Okay. So oh. I got in touch with a movie production company in London who put a fake Loch Ness monster on a massive lorry, drove it all the way up to the Highlands, put it onto a wooden pontoon. Oh, my gosh. Four o'clock in the afternoon, this thing was floated past the castle. That's beautiful. And the little girl got to see her Loch Ness monster. I love, love, love that story. I only have one story that I've ever thought of that even comes close to that story. That is Phenom. Uh, talk about a guest experience and an unforgettable memory for your whole lifetime. You know, how many people can say that they've seen that for real? Just the <laughs> other people that happened to see it while it was going on. <laughs> exactly. It's a very expensive operation. <laughs> Tell me your favorite owner story. Are there owners? Yeah. Especially in the early years, we used to work with wonderfully sort of old aristocratic families who were quite eccentric, some of them. They were like out of a movie. Mm -hmm. And they were very colorful. And the houses, to be honest, they were more what we call shabby chic. I know exactly what you mean. Latterly, you know, standards have gone up so high, they're more. They're much more immaculate now and sophisticated and amazing American-style bathrooms. But anyway, during the early days, we didn't always have access to those kind of homes. So they were more this sort of old aristocratic homes. And I remember one day, a wonderful owner who's died now, sadly, but she was a great character. She was Irish, but it was actually a Scottish castle. And her father was, uh, sorry, her husband was an earl and very old family. And we were sitting in the drawing room and uh, this water started pouring down the drawing room wall. <laughs> and the guests were saying, oh, Siobhan, there's water pouring down the wall. I said, oh, don't worry, the bathroom walls leaks. Don't worry, it happens every evening. Oh <laughs> to Carol, God. let's all have another drink. And, oh, heavens. And they all was getting more water. And she said, oh, no, honestly, it couldn't matter less. Let's have another drink. And, and sure enough, the water stopped after a while. And I was thinking about this morning because, you know, now the houses are so smart and sophisticated. Yeah. But that's what it was like 25 years ago. <laughs> that's amazing. We had a lot of that sort of thing, you know. <laughs> if you had one piece of advice to give people who are listening out there who may love to travel or they may be interested in luxury estates and managing them, what advice would you give to them? I think it's focusing on the personal service, which is the hardest thing 
and it's the most exhausting hard work thing to achieve is the personal service. I mean, my background is in the hotels and I was managing these properties in America. I was a glorified butler, really. You know, I was front of house Mm. managing these incredible houses for these immensely rich American families up in Canada and Palm Beach and New York and all over. It's getting the service right. And that in our industry is what's so hard. No kidding. Got to do, you know, if you're going to deliver for the big boys, that's what you've got to get right. So, when I first started out, I started working when I just turned 14 and I started back of house at restaurants. And then right. by the time a year later, I started waiting tables. And that type of service, I think, is very that type of background as a young girl taught me a lot about customer service. And then I loved it. Actually, I waited tables. I did other things, even through college and after I had a family. I just loved it because it was very easy to make a lot of money doing it. And it was fun to take care of people. And then when I started my own business, I found that the service portion of it, the customer service, making sure that my clients, I mean, they're my personal friends. They're still my personal friends. After selling my business and continuing to run it for years afterwards, still, they're my friends. And you either love taking care of people or you find it a bother. And I love it. I do too. I mean, all my professional life, I've basically been looking after rich Americans. There you go. As a waiter in the corner or the Dorchester, both room service, banketing, restaurants, then junior management, Mm -hmm. as a butler in America, then running estates. And now for nearly 25 years, organizing these house parties. All, actually, the only thing I'm good at is looking <laughs> after very rich Americans. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, you know what, but you do it very well, obviously. I have very few other skills. <laughs> I don't, no, I don't, I don't believe that. <laughs> I know that you do the other very well. I enjoy it. If, yeah. if you enjoy something, you're good at it, right? Yes. For me, it's hosting, you know, hosting this type of program. You meet so many different people. And I have to say, I am very surprised to find that no matter the country, because I interview people that grew up in a lot of different countries, Mm. but you find the things that you guys have in common as very successful uh, property managers is that you love people. You do. You love your owners. And I listen to you because the name of this podcast is How We Grow. Yeah. And what you said at the very beginning is that you intentionally keep it a certain size. Yeah, I think you can't at this level, you know, unless you really luck out and find some amazing people to help you, which is not always easy. You have to stay quite small. So we also touched on something else that I just want to reiterate. And that was we're talking about size and ROI, size and revenue. And I'll tell you something that I find very interesting. In the U.S., there are places that you're a private company as a property manager, so you cannot, I mean, you don't share, you don't share your P&L. The one thing that people can get a hold of and take a look at is how much you pay in taxes. And so I remember someone mentioning to me, there was a company and it was a small company. It was on the East Coast, 250 properties is a good size, medium company, but it's not considered very, very large, depending on where you're at. But in this area that I'm talking about, it's not considered very large. It's a medium-sized company. And someone said to me, why do they always pay so much more taxes than anyone else? They must be really bad and have a very bad tax accountant. And I thought to myself, that's absolutely not the case because I knew on the inside 
their revenue generated was one and a half times that of the property manager that had 560 properties. And why was that? Because they managed it well and they actually priced properly. Uh, They made more money than the other company. So I know from experience, it's not property size. It's not the number of properties. It's really how you manage it. So I'm certain that you guys probably do better than many property managers that are much larger than you. I mean, we do charge, our properties are incredibly expensive. So yeah, I mean, we do, our commission base is probably higher. I always find it fascinating, quite a few years ago, people, and this is common to our industry, nobody quibbles about paying their accountant or their doctor or their lawyer Mm -mm. or their pool cleaner a fat fee for doing their job. But somehow travel experts were supposed to give all this information for Sir Zippo. <laughs> and I'm afraid I'm from a moderately good background and so not overly intelligent, but I mean I suddenly even I thought, well, this is ridiculous. You know, why <laughs> is my knowledge not worth as much as anybody else's knowledge? There you are. So I started quite a few years ago now, I started saying, Well, if you want me to arrange your holiday, you will charge me a fat planning fee. Mm-hmm. And I come straight out with that. The mm-hmm. first conversation I have when I'm arranging a holiday, as well as the castle, obviously we have to arrange everything for them, right down to the most microscopic detail, looking after multi-gen families, organizing all sorts of different things. And I said, yeah, that's I'll be delighted to do that. And I will charge you X thousand pounds to do that. And a lot of my friends in the industry, oh, God, I couldn't possibly do that. You know, because then it was all about everything was commission-based you, or you mark things up. I said, oh, I don't want to do that. I think it's much more transparent just to say, look, I'll arrange your holiday and I'll charge you X to do it. And it's also brilliant because if they're not your clients, and our clients are all people who are very rich and they don't want to pay that money, you find out straight away, okay, they're not my client. So you say, well, don't worry, ring these people. Exactly. It's a very good filter. So that sort of slightly touches on what you were saying. You can have hundreds of properties and you might be making 500 bucks a commission every rental or something, but actually you've got to do a hell of a lot of rentals to catch up with one of my bookings. There you go. (laughs) So guys, there's a nugget here. There's a nugget here. So if you've just been listening along in this podcast and it's been interesting in the back of your head, stop and listen to this. Go back and listen to the last minute and a half of what Andrew has said, because he said something that they teach in business school too. Your time, guys, is worth money and he charges for it. And that's important. That really is. And I I think that's a phenomenal business model and it's unique for sure. But if you're starting your own luxury vacation rentals, remember this thing that we started calling about four years ago in our industry of concierge. You can get a concierge here and concierge there. Guys, charge. People are willing to pay for you to take care of them so they don't have to take care of themselves. They are. People are delighted to pay. Exactly. They're delighted. And if they're not delighted to pay, then they're not your clients. It's not the luxury. Yeah, we're looking at luxury markets, guys. And we're talking about the types of clients that enjoy that type of vacation, rental, and yeah. exactly. They want to be fussed over and they can't VIP themselves. No. You no. have to have somebody else to VIP you and you have to have somebody else to fuss over you. 
they're all making a fortune doing whatever they do. And all you're doing is liberating them from the pressure of arranging holiday. Right. And I think you just have to have the confidence that you're arranging a very special holiday, maybe a 60th birthday party or family reunion. They're spending a lot of money and they want it to be fantastic. It's your job to make it fantastic. But if you have the confidence of what you're doing in your product, then you should charge for that. End of story. I love that. Andrew, there's nothing better to end with on that. And I'm really grateful for you coming and taking the time to share your knowledge and your expertise, your thoughts and your memories for Luxury Vacation Rentals. Thanks again. Not at all. Lovely to meet you. This episode of How We Grow was brought to you by Super Control. To find out more about how Super Control can help you grow your vacation rental business, visit supercontrol.co.uk. Make sure to search for How We Grow in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found and hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. On behalf of the team here at Inhabit, thanks for listening.